I'm Audra. And I'm Sadie. And we are former English Lit majors and sisters who miss reading and discussing literature with fellow Lit nerds. And we created this podcast to discuss literature fueled by libations. So pick your poison and join us each week to discuss all the queries and views unearthed in great books. And support your local bookstore. Welcome, everybody, to Lit and Libations. Hi, Sadie. Hi, Audra. Um, so we were chatting briefly before we started recording. We're both very excited to talk about mm. uh, the ending of, of this book. Uh, mm-hmm. So before we get into it, though, do have a um, little housekeeping thing. So, Sadie, why don't you remind everybody what our next book will be? So that episode will be dropping next Friday. Yes. Um, if, if we stay so on go schedule. Ahead and give everyone that. Next Friday. We're doing our best, right? We're doing pretty good. We're doing pretty good. Um, Yeah, so our next book is A Thousand Ships by Natalie Haynes, and I just started it, and... I did too. I'm I'm excited to get into it. I'm excited to get more into it. What I've been told is that the further you get into it, the better it is, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. I can attest to that, because I'm pretty far into it. I I rested most of today Mm -hmm. and did a lot of reading of it, and... I, I agree, but yeah, I ha- I'm, I'm excited to talk about it too. And it's kind of nice because as we've mentioned before, this is about when we started our podcast mm-hmm. last year at this time. And we started with Circe, which is such a great way to start it off, I think for us. And so I kind of like this, I don't know, full circle moment and she's mentioned in this book. Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, yeah. So everyone go pick out a copy of that from mm-hmm. your local bookstore, get reading. It's an easy read. Mm -hmm, Um, for sure so you can definitely get through that or listen to it if you prefer to listen um before our next episode um anything else i think that's the only housekeeping item okay and we'll make sure to post as soon as possible what our next book will be um i think this that won't be my pick so i'll even maybe post something on instagram so you guys can get get that and get reading too i haven't decided what to do yet better get get thinking on that Um, okay. What is your libation this evening, Sadie? I am drinking a beer. So, um, the beer that I'm drinking is from a brewery called Treehouse Brewery here in Massachusetts. And it's super famous out here. I think I've talked about it on the pod before. Yeah. Um, they don't sell in stores. So the only way to get it is by going to the brewery themselves. I think that they have three locations now in Massachusetts and they truly like, this is a beer that made me like beer. Like, it's just, mm. it's very, very good. Um, I'm excited because I'm going to go back to Treehouse this weekend and nice. go pick up some more cases of beer. Because you have to go, like, you have to order your beer the day you're going to go pick it up because mm. they sell out. So you have to, like, get on there right at 930. And then you have to order if you want to drink there. You have to... They do like a ticket system so you can have like max two tickets, draft tickets per person, and then you can go have two beers while you're there. And it's because they sell out, like they're so busy all yeah. the time. And um, I'm super excited to go there again this weekend, but this one is really good. It's a pale ale. It's uh, 4.7% and it's super drinkable and very citrusy and I love it. Awesome. That sounds good. Yeah, I want to try someone. And come out to visit because sure. you have talked about it before. Sounds good. Um, well, I put some effort in today. You did? Um, yeah. So I made like an alcoholic smoothie. So it's oh. coconut 
and dragon fruit and a banana. And then unfortunately I put too much vodka in it. It's a little vodka heavy. I got a little heavy with the pour, <laughs> but, but it's really good. It's just, it's a little stronger a than little I intended. Strong. So you'll be having but, a really good time while we record this. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Um, but it's good. So <laughs> that was my libation. Nice. And it's, it's a nice, pretty pink color. It is really cute. It's a very baby pink. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so how great was this book? Um, I can't stop talking about it. I can't stop thinking about it. Um, so, yeah, so spoilers. So aren't you proud of me how I didn't spoil? I mean, it's kind of obvious. Like, well, although I will be honest. Mm. I thought I kind of kept thinking because there is an, a strong element of magical realism to this novel yeah um maybe that's not the right term but it, there is this strong s- sense of like yeah i mean it's just magical realism well, I, just, I think is it, i feel like any yeah i mean it's something that anything could happen and yeah. and even with the way so like what we're dancing around is the fact that nainoa dies and um but but does he like that's like that's the thing is he does but you know like there's never a body that's found and then the last chapter of the book he kind of comes back in a way and like I just well, yeah I I wasn't sure if it was which I love I love that the last one is too. Augie me too I I kind of took it to be like his his physical body died I don't know this is maybe I'm gonna get. I guess I've had too much of this smoothie already. Oh, no. Like this is kind of how my general outlook of like an afterlife is. Mm-hmm. Like I don't I don't believe in an afterlife. I don't believe in a god, but I feel like we're all, you know, made up of these molecules and energy and and all of that. And mm-hmm. when you die, it has to go somewhere and it all kind of still connects together Mm -hmm. um I mean I'm really simplifying my beliefs right now but just like really quick and so I kind of interpret it as like yes his physical body died it's not not alive in that sense anymore but his energy especially everything that he was able to do and feel it Mm -hmm. kind of all goes back into the island and not just the physical island with like the nature but like the history and mm-hmm. the the people and the gods and then like it's awesome when you see you know with the the farm that yes. Kauai and the and their mom and and that whole element still and that idea of circulating everything you know the fish feeds this which feeds the water which like I mean they give a much better description in it and it's great because mm-hmm. she's this engineer right so she knows how to do all this and it's like his life force is helping create that and generate that and feed that and like it's just all still connected so he's alive in that way Mm -hmm. um which i mean i don't know that's just kind of how i took it so it's like not just saying oh they're maybe they passed but they're still with us but like he literally is like his life force helped to feed what needed to be fed in the island and then his family is keeping it going through their work you know with the farm and then also with dean still being on the mainland and sending money so that they can keep doing what they need to like it's not as a romantic of a way to be in that cycle but it's a very realistic way to be a part of that cycle 
I think I think the thing with uh, Noah works so well as far as kind of that ambiguity of him being gone but not really and I think part of that is helped by the fact that they never recover a body it's sure. almost mm-hmm. like he just like well this is like a very Mormon thing to say but he just twinkles like <laughs> so like <laughs> so like him in Mormonism um spoiler alert I was raised Mormon um Twink- twinkles this is the I maybe this is just my dad's thing but like the way <laughs> that it is described Ow. of like Mormons believe in a resurrection, right? So like they believe sure, that the sure. dead people will become alive again. And whenever my dad, which I like associate with Mormonism, um, whenever they're asked like how that would happen, like a lot of people think like can make fun of it and say zombie apocalypse, you know, like people coming out of the grave. But he yeah. describes it as a twinkle that all of a sudden they just twi- there's a twinkle and they're back like normal, and so that's how I like pictured this is like he didn't his body just twinkled it's just gone it's just gone it's like it's like you know how Jedi's just disappear you know did you watch uh, Star no, Wars I'll take your word for it did you watch Star Dude, Wars I'm not a Star Wars fan you know this okay I know you're not a fan but have you watched them. I I have, but I can't connect. Like, well, like, I know the gist, but so I don't. I can't. That doesn't bring an image to me. Classic scene: Yoda dies. Right, super old, nine hundred year old Yoda. This is Return of the Jedi. What movie does he? Oh, okay. He dies in Return of the I've Jedi. He dies of old age, and he's just like well, I would hope so. Nine hundred years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he's just super cute, just super small in bed, just getting tucked in. And then all of a sudden, he just disappears, and then the blanket, like, slowly drifts down because his body's not there anymore. Mm. And that's what happened to, that's what happens to Jedi when they die. They just disappear. Are Jedi Mormon? Yeah. Yeah, Jedi Mormon. (laughs) (laughs) This is really off the rails. I am no longer Mormon, just so everybody knows. I don't believe this is what happens. But the fact that there's not a body recovered for Noah made me think about that. Like, he just twinkled out of existence, but kind of just became a part of the force of the island. Which I also thought was really interesting is that um, a lot of the conversation in the first part of the book is Noah wondering if the rest of his family has ever felt... The things that he's felt if he's felt if they've ever had that pull that connection and well and he makes such a point about this isn't just about me yeah like this isn't about me this isn't just about me it's about all of us like like what if they were calling our whole family it's like something that he says and And it's almost like he had to get out of the way a little bit which sounds awful but it yeah it almost feels like he his like his physical presence almost had to be removed for them to all connect together again. I mean, and that's the grief. I mean, grief is such a complicated tangle web, tangled web of things. And it's, it's so sad that they didn't find a body because that's awful too. Cause then they don't really have this, this closure. They all kind of feel differently. I mean, like, look what happens to Augie. Yeah. I mean, and it's such an interesting description of like just the mental turmoil that goes along with grief and how everyone processes it differently. And that relationship between 
you know, the husband and wife after losing a child and the relationship between them and their kids that, you know, that are still surviving. I mean, it's just, I think it did such a great job of spotlighting all the different ways that grief plays out and can right. affect people. And, but then at the end, it, it, I mean, and it almost it could come off as like kind of cheesy, like they all come together again, but they don't in a way that's unbelievable. Yeah. Like, well, it's, it's like not like everything goes to shit first and it's so yeah. sad. Like it's so sad seeing Cowie like drop out of school, but she drops out for a lot of reasons. And, um, that's hard to watch. It's hard to watch mm-hmm. Dean, um, kind of struggle and kind of try to be important you know like yeah. so and kind hard. of but also throws life away a little bit he throws it away he's kind of frivolous a little bit with with his life and then mm-hmm. um everything that happens with malia and Aggie and it really does kind of fall apart and at the end they all come together but i think what keeps it realistic for me is the fact that it's difficult that there are like clear growing pains that they all struggle yeah but also dean doesn't come back to the island so it's not yeah it's not this like picture perfect ending of them all literally together again in hawaii it's he's still out there like dealing drugs doing illegal things to try to provide for them and yeah his clearly like it's for the right reasons he just wants to be a provider and take care of them um but i think that that's kind of the the little aftertaste of like bitter aftertaste to the happy ending because Mm -hmm. that's what makes it not so perfect and i think that's why it works because i think if it was wrapped up too perfectly with all of them together and it's all magical i don't think that would have worked yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, it, I feel like the whole thing was so realistic despite all of the elements that seem fantastical, which is what I think is so interesting about magical realism. Like right. I did, I'm really interested in that because, you know, the, the term kind of got coined specifically around like Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Yeah. And he really rejected the term because he's like, this isn't magical. This is all real. Like, right. And, and it's, and I think it's the same with this story. And also it's, it's not weird shit just for weird shit. Right. Like it's not magic just for the sake of something being weird. Like, and it all has an effect and it all is just tied in together. And I think that to call it, I mean, I like the term cause it gives me a sense of like, I just think there's some novels that do it so well, but it, it's not a great way to describe it, but I can't think of anything else to describe it, but just right. the, the elements that are fantastical in it, but they're not like, a, I don't know. It, I think it just makes you more aware of the things that maybe we don't think about in our everyday life. Cause we reject it as not being realistic. Does that make sense? And so I think mm-hmm. there's so many things that we're confronted with and death is one of them. We don't know what happens, right? You know, there's, and there's so many different explanations for things and there's so many things that happen centered around death and grief that maybe seem fantastical. Um, and I don't know. I just think he does such a good job of keeping it all relatable and realistic while also just such a magical story. Yeah. It's really grounded. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really grounded 
in reality. And I also think that specifically with the magical elements, I guess you could say, of the story, mm-hmm. I think what it does is just kind of shine light on the very, very real things in the world that we think of as normal, but are magical. You know, like the idea of um, Noah being able to heal somebody, the way that he does it here is very magical, but we've kind of just gotten used to the fact that we as humans can heal each other in other ways and Mm -hmm. like I feel like it just is a more fantastical representation of a very real thing that we're capable of and yeah same with same with like the nature like the island um the way that it's kind of shown here as this character and the animals you know like with the sharks even of like this is magical this is unrealistic but it's not like those things are magical. Those things are incredible. Mm-hmm. And it's just something that we've just become used to. But yeah. I think that this highlights the fact that those things are already like super incredible and super magical. And I think like the bonds of family goes into that. I think like the bond that this family feels, sometimes it's distressing and but there are other times that, like the fact that they're connected to something together is really mm-hmm. powerful. I love the scene where Malia plays the ukulele and Yeah, oh, that was beautiful. And Cowie starts doing the hula um dancing and yeah. like there's just so much unspoken. It was like they just were called to it. Like she'd never played that song before and Cowie couldn't almost help but dance and Mm -hmm. they were so in tune with each other and it was portrayed as something magical but at the same time any of those things are already magical this is just like another element and I think it was so cool it was so beautiful and so healing for them as yeah the elements themselves aren't magical it's the combination of them all together that creates something magical just just like a good novel like it's the same kind of, and same with the family, like on their own, you know, they, they find success and also struggle, but it's when they really come together. And I don't think it's just about, I think it's interesting because it's not just about that they have to come back to Hawaii, right? I mean, Kauai Mm -hmm. does, but Dean doesn't, but they're still able, like the Hawaii isn't just the physical island itself. It's that idea of the family and their bond and their community And so even though Dean's on the mainland, like he's helping the family, he's still, his, his purpose is for that. I mean, and he goes back to Hawaii, you know, when he's looking for, for Noah, like, so it's not, it's not like they have to be away from it or they have to be there. It's, it's not the physical sense itself. That's the important part. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think they kind of all realize that. Yeah. They're there for each other in the second part of this novel in a way that like, they weren't at the beginning even even just with dean like how dedicated he is to Mm -hmm. trying to find noah was heartbreaking like his frustration um of you know when search and rescue stopped being able to like to to devote resources when the rest of his family 
had to leave, like his parents had to leave the island um, and go to a different one. And like his frustration, I just felt was so real. And it was like this vulnerability from him where he's thinking more about his regrets a little bit and what he wants to say to his brother. And then the scene, oh my gosh, the heartbreaking scene where he does find the spot. And we all know it's coming because he stops by that old shed or hut. hut. And so we know he's close. And so like my interest, my like anxiety, like it just starts ramping up. And then the way that that scene is written, it's almost like a stream of consciousness almost of like what he's finding and how Mm -hmm. he's finding it, how he's processing it is just... I just can't, I can't imagine having to do that because it's like this fear of not finding anything and then just as much of a fear something. Mm-hmm. of finding something. Because how terrifying yeah. would it be to find nothing? It's frustrating. You have no closure. But then if you find something, it's like the worst possible thing that could happen to you is seeing someone you love and that situation and it's just I thought that the writing was spectacular in that scene and Dean's vulnerability and his strength of finding that and then being able to make it home and then tell the family and like mm-hmm. be the the person to bear that I just think it was so well done and so meaningful and then also like later on how he has to continue to show up he goes back to the mainland and has to help get Noah's things. They have all this money. Dean really goes through an interesting journey, like with, with going back to Noah's apartment, which, and I love these details too. I mean, they're so sad and so realistically sad. Just the idea of, you know, Noah has disappeared and now his parents are on the hook for all this money from his apartment. Mm -hmm. And as if they don't have enough economic hardship as it is. And so Noah and Kwai go to try and get his things and all the interactions they have with the police and kind of working with Noah's, you know, girlfriend and, and the arrest, like it's also, that's the, like, I I think that that kind of gets forgotten about of all the messy bullshit that you still have to deal with when Mm -hmm. someone dies. It's not just this general understanding of, Oh, this is so hard. Let's help you out. It's like, Nope you're on the hook for all this money and nope, we don't care. And nobody's going to help being you. Evicted. You don't get, yeah. we're not going to let you retrieve your brother's things. I mean, just this unreal, like crazy lack of compassion, but it's, it's the rules, right? Well, and, and it's lack of compassion from like everybody just knowing that that's what's happening and then just observing it. Like I like this moment in that scene where he, says I, I can't remember if it's from Callie's perspective or Dean's but they notice that um neighbors are like watching through the blinds and yeah. that part gutted me where I was like oh my fucking god like what would I do if I saw like people my neck like next door neighbors I knew the situation I knew that that person died or something clearly something's going on their stuff's being dumped out into the rain getting wet getting ruined things like family pictures things like all these Mm -hmm. things that are meaningful and they're just sitting there and they're just watching the struggle it was so frustrating to me and it 
I've never witnessed something quite like that. And I'm, I just wanted to like be that neighbor and be like, put it in my fucking garage, like deal with it when you can deal with it. But I don't know if I would do that because we, I think are kind of for, for good reasons, a lot of the time kind of taught to distance ourselves and to like not take on other people's shit and to just mind our own business. And a lot of the time that is to protect ourselves, but also at the same time, like it was, this is so heartbreaking from their point of view. I'm like, why didn't they just open their door and say, you can like sort the stuff in here. It's fine. I just, it's so frustrating. And the, the fact that they're just watching, it's like, how many, how many times do we just like sit aside and we just watch people go through shit? But also ultimately like this shouldn't have to be the neighbor's problem. This should be there should be a process where the systems in charge or in power should have compassion and should be able to help when stuff oh yeah stuff the like whole happens. I mean it's just the whole situation I mean even the economic situation that they're in at the beginning you know it's yeah. just it's 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 just such a generational trauma mm-hmm. when it comes to you know, they're living in poverty and it never seems to end. And, and while it's sad that, you know, Dean never makes it big playing basketball and makes all this money that he wants to make, or Kwai never, you know, becomes this wealthy engineer and finishes school and has, you know, doesn't accomplish it in that way. And Noah disappears, you know, And, and so they all have all this potential, right? But it's like, it's so hard to escape that generational trauma. And I think even that the when you're spectacular, makes, makes that, even when you're spectacular, because you know, on those bootstraps, everyone talks about, yeah, they don't exist. There's not bootstraps. You know, you can't just pull yourself up by those, regardless of how gifted or exceptional or talented you are. And I think the novel makes a really good point of that, but it doesn't hammer at home in this like, woe is them scenario. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, and I think Kawhi, talks about that like how she's like hey I hustle and I learned how to hustle through osmosis like mm. you know this has been passed down to me but I'm not you know she's doing the best she can they all are but it doesn't mean it's not hard or they're not aware of it it's also right. not this like oh look how I don't know I, I just think sometimes we we don't acknowledge that enough and then we look at people who succeed and get out of it as almost giving them this like superhero status when sometimes it's just pure luck mm-hmm. because this whole system's rigged against them yeah yeah it, it is frustrating to read those parts of the novel but i think that the characters are so well written and like the characters personalities just make it work so much that you just care kind of about them like it's it's I felt almost like this book was so personal and this family was so well developed that I felt like a fly on the wall like I felt like I knew these characters really well like it was it was very it felt very personal to me so like when they struggled I felt gutted in a way that I haven't felt for from a book for a really long time. Like these felt like such well, real like, characters to me. 
Yeah. Even, even Augie, who we don't hear from until the last chapter, like when you read about his mental decline, like it's so gripping and sad. Mm -hmm. And like, we don't ever, never even hear from him Mm -hmm. until the last chapter, but I still felt such a connection to Augie Mm -hmm. just through the other characters. Yeah. And I mean, that's pretty, I think that's pretty special, you know, to be able to write characters that way. Yeah, I agree. One thing I wanted to talk about, which we didn't talk at all about, I think in part one, um, but is Callie and uh, Van. Viv? Or Van, yeah. Yeah, I think that was that was interesting. Like, And I love the conversation that Callie has with Dean where he is like saying things he knows about her. And mm-hmm. he's like, and I know you like women. And then that's all they really talk about. They don't. It doesn't go farther than that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think I, I like how her interactions with Van are described. I like the it, very realistic, not gratuitous at all. You know, kind mm-hmm. of just her. I think it's just more of Kawhi discovering herself. And part of that is discovering your sexuality and like, that idea of yeah. love and when it goes from friendship to more and yeah, I, th- I thought then, it was good. Van's, but then also a frustrating character. Yeah. Like that, that was what it was for me. It was like, you feel when the relationship starts to blossom or is doing well, I felt excited for her because yeah, it was like, Oh, this is, this is really real for her what's gonna happen and then van just is disappointing every single time and it's yeah she's a disappointing character and i think part of it is the um it's amazing sometimes like this is a contemporary novel but it's still 2008 and it's amazing how much has changed just since 2008 just how much Mm -hmm. the cultures change it changed with the fact that maybe maybe in 2022 um van and Callie's relationship would have ended differently or there wouldn't have been so much kind of mocking repression oh my god the scene at the party like after they'd gone their separate ways van you know kind of rejected Callie in a pretty cruel way like she's not a good friend through it all but then they kind of start doing this again and then at the party they go upstairs and they start getting together and hooking up and then and then she just like laughs at her so cruelly yeah and it's interesting is like is that her own self-loathing right is it just her being a not good person is it I mean because that's the thing too like it I just I think it was such a great represent or depiction of relationships that unfortunately occur, especially in that time of your life. Mm-hmm. And and how I think it's easy to look to relationships and look to other people as like saviors of some sort, even though they have no business being that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like especially if you've come from, you know, I mean, Kawhi obviously has never really felt special. It's always been Noah who's been special. She's always been kind of trying for that. Like where's my place and then she finds that with her with van and the and the two other friends when it's like with climbing and she it's like she's found her people and i think she kind of looks at them as that like almost these especially van of like this there's my place like there's my person and i i've had that happen where you think you find someone and they're you're everything and they're not because they don't even know who they are right you know 
Right. Not to excuse any of Van's behavior. Like, but, she's not a good person. But still, I mean... Or doesn't act in good ways. She, but she yeah, doesn't respond well. But I think what's hard, too, is that with Cowie, it was... Um, Van was also, like, the entrance into a group of friends. And yeah. it was mm-hmm. someone that she associated with a big passion of hers or just climbing and it was someone she really connected with and she climbed well with and she felt some sort of like symbiosis with her and then to see that get taken away it's just there's just been a lot of things that's been taken away from her or that she's kind of rejected maybe from feeling she has to and it's not just family but but, you know, like she loves Hula and then and then that kind of gets taken from her and she kind of rejects the Hawaiian community in San Diego for a while there. And yeah, kind of really leans into the community that she finds at school, which is mainly related to her relationship with friendship with Van and then everything just kind of falls apart. And then watching her kind of fall apart because of that, you know, somebody who is so on top of things and so um, dedicated to school, seeing her start to slip is, it was difficult to read. But at the same time, again, kind of what we were talking about, this like happy ending is at the end, it still feels like she didn't lose. She finds herself more at the end. Yeah. And she's able to put her skills to use in a way that she's appreciated. And I think that is something that's really cool. Yeah. And 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 also with her with her parents, you know, she's able to help Augie Mm-hmm. in a way and she's able to help I mean the interactions she has with both Augie and with her mom are I think really they're really beautiful because it's nothing is like cheesy it's all just seems so realistic and raw but you know you can really sense the love there and not just the love for like her parents but like who they are what they've gone through like who they are as people you know not just her love for them as her parents but like who they are and yeah and, sh- and what they've done for her and themselves and like really kind of starts to see them more, like especially that conversation she has with her mom before mm-hmm. she starts playing the ukulele. And yeah, I, I just think that he, he he's so good at putting these moments throughout the book that um, really get you to understand the connectedness that they have as a family and that they have in this bigger picture of, of Hawaii mm-hmm. and the history of it that really takes it outside of, I think the Hawaii, that at least I think of, you know, as someone who's from here and has just gone there as a tourist, like it right. really, there's this whole other world that, you know, most of us are unfortunately pretty ignorant to. And I think he does such a good job of, of pointing that out, but in these nice, small, quiet moments, does that make sense? Yeah. Like not just the images of like the night marchers or, you know, the, natural beauty of Hawaii but like these quiet moments between like people yeah um and I think he does a really good job of it I agree I really liked that um kind of how at the beginning of our discussion when we talked about how Noah's passing 
kind of opens the gate for them to start experiencing the island in that way or the power Mm -hmm. of it. Um, I also think his death, interestingly enough, like I think he really heals. He opens the door to heal them again. It's like his like last big thing. He's able to heal them. And part of it is because of all this contention that happens, all this falling apart, the resentments that we talked about last time where that had been building up throughout the novel, they're kind of given this opportunity to be aired and to be spoken about. And the frustrations kind of reach reaches its peak. And because they're talking about it and confronting each other, they're able to move on and like Mm -hmm. actually grow and heal from it. And Cowie being able to tell her mother that, you know, she doesn't think that she would mourn her in the way that she mourns Noah. That's yeah. a that's a pretty serious thing to say to someone who is in mourning. And but like the way that Malia just ha- handles that with just like grace and honesty, like you you know, like she she doesn't get in Cowie's face about it. She's just like, "Ugh, like no." Like, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, she does it in a way that doesn't invalidate yeah, her feelings, but not in like a talk therapy kind of way, but just like, you know, she doesn't invalidate her feelings, but she also doesn't like she shuts it down. Yeah. Yeah. Like no nonsense. Malia is no nonsense. Yeah. And I liked to, um, a lot of Cowie's like assumptions about her mother, come up like she starts expressing them more and Malia just kind of is even more than she was in part one just like you said no nonsense and stands up for herself and she says you think I don't get you like I do get you I was you and right I think that's so cool because I think that we talk about this over and over and over again this is a recurring theme but it's in like almost every book that we read, but it's this opportunity for the child to see the parent as a full person and not just as a parent who they think has like fucked them up in some way. It's being able to see the way that they're fucked up and and also the way that they're incredible and being able to see each other in a fully rounded way. And I think it's, it's done really well here. And I think it's why, um, the ending is able to feel so satisfying. Yeah. Speaking of, so I had a friend that read the book um, and she said that she felt the ending was too abrupt or mm. like that it was an abrupt ending. And I, I kind of thought about it and I think that I can see why she thinks that I think it does kind of, there's such a buildup and then I think it does all kind of just quickly come together at the end but I don't think it's abrupt in a way that really bothers me. The more I think about it, I think it's just, I think it, I kind of connected it with, you know, th- things just keep going. Like the world just keeps turning, yeah. things keep moving on. And like, I, I think in part of it too, is I like the character so much and I like the story so much that it's like, Oh, I don't want it to be over. Like, right. You know what I mean? I want to keep hearing more about it, but 
I don't know if I'd necessarily think it ends abruptly in a bad way. I think it's just, this is the end of this story. It almost, it's almost like, but what's your opinion? I think it's almost like it ends at the beginning in a way. Mm. Like, um, like you said, it's the end of this story, but I think maybe it feels abrupt because Ari's chapter is so different than the other chapters that we've read. And it really leans into some of the more fantastical elements of the story a lot more heavily. And it feels like new beginning to me. But I think that can feel abrupt because when something ends, as you feel like it's just starting, that can feel like yeah. you're you're you want more. I think in a way. Yeah. Um, well, I think there's such an image of like circular in this novel for yeah. me, like in you know how the novel begins and how it ends with the night marchers. This idea of like trauma continuing. The idea, you know, the farm that Kwai works on, that's all built on this image of everything feeding in and on of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, them returning to Hawaii. Like, there's just lots of this, like, imagery for me of returning and circle and, like, kind of everything all just leading into itself in a way, well, both in good and bad. Even, like, one of the last um, sentences of it is very much like that of, like, the beginning feeding into the end or the end feeding into the beginning of something. And it's when, um, I'll just read the last paragraph because I think it's fantastic. I am the man named Aggie and I am the blood that pumps inside and I am the sand that was blown to life with the breath of all our gods and I am the wet mud of the valley and I am the green that grows from within it. I am the shore, the drift of the world underwater. I am the shatter the wave throws over i am the atmosphere that heats the thunderheads and i am the cool rain the thirsty soil reclaims i am the flex that drives the arm of the wayfinder the planter the carver i am the beat that drives the hips of the hula i am the spark that starts the child's heart and i am the last beat from the elders and so it is with nainoa there he is he never left us that part where it says i am the spark that starts the child's heart and i am the last beat from the elders i think is a perfect sentence to like represent that circular nature of the ending being the beginning of something else Mm -hmm. and the circular nature of life and relationships and trauma and yeah and nature and struggle it, it just it almost feels like you you, you want to start the book over again yeah yeah i agree have you have you listened to um i'm a broadway nerd and there's one that won a couple of years ago for best broadway musical and it's hades town no, but I'm going to see it. I have tickets for it. It's coming. Shut up. I'm so yeah. fucking jealous. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. We'll live here and you could have come with me, but I'm, it's okay. You maybe I'll here. fly home. <laughs> Sorry, okay. Kendrick. You don't get to go with Audra. I'm coming. <laughs> let me see. when. Let me see when my tickets are. I can't remember. I don't know. I should probably just go but see yeah. it on Broadway. But <laughs> Oh, yeah. You should probably just go. Yeah. Oh, I live so close to New York. Oh. <laughs> um. But something I love about that musical is that um, it's the stories of um, Eurydice and, oh gosh, what's his name? 
what's the dude's name? The, the Lear. What dude? It's Eurydice, and what's the guy's name? Like, mm. I don't know. Don't you know? Dude, I've like, had I've had almost mythology. all of my smoothie at this point. <laughs> I do, but not after I'm in like a vodka smoothie. Like, it's Orpheus, Orpheus and Eurydice. Okay, mm. that's what it is. So anyway, the story ends. Like everybody knows the story, right? If you don't, that's okay. I won't spoil it. But the point is, is that it starts with like the main character telling the story and then it ends with him starting to tell the story again and with the hope of kind of like telling a story every time, hoping that maybe it ends differently, but you don't know it doesn't. So you just keep retelling the story. And um, (laughs) I think that is kind of illustrated with this with this book a little bit where it ends at the beginning and you could almost re- yeah. reread the novel and s- still kind of go through the cycle of the book. And I, I think that's a really cool thing. I can't believe this is a debut novel. Like, I can't believe I it. I know, right? And the fact that he, like, doesn't have an MFA, like, he never, like, went to school for this specifically, really. Um, he's mostly self-taught. I think, like, I read an interview in the back of the book where he just read books about writing and just like gave it a shot and well like over a long yeah. period of time but like cuz he wrote this book for a really long time um I just can't cannot believe it it's so stunning I wish I was it is really good I mean speaking of talent a lot of this book is about talent and whew, he has it that's for sure Yeah it's great well, I really enjoyed it. I was, I was, I, it seemed really interesting to me. There were so many things about it that made me think it was going to be really good and it was even better than I expected. Um, yeah, same. So loved it. Was, I'm excited to see more from him. Hopefully there's more. I know. Hopefully soon. I mean, this, this and is a pretty guys, recent yeah. novel, I guess. So it might be a couple years yet before we see something else from him, but. Um, and if you didn't go get a copy, mm-hmm. read it. It's so good. Um, uh, and then remind everybody what we're doing next. So we're reading a thousand ships by Natalie Haynes and it's a retelling Perfect. of the Trojan war through the perspective of, I think like six different female characters or something, maybe more. I can't remember. Um, are you, is there anything else that you're reading or watching? Um, reading i started reading um the essex serpent i'm having a hard time getting into it um but i think it'll be good it's i'm reading it because they're turning it into a tv show um oh really and it's it's kind of a mystery i don't really know what to make of it yet because it's a period piece and like it's set in the mm-hmm. it's historical fiction but I'm pretty sure there's, like, a lake monster along the lines mm, of Loch okay. Ness that ends up appearing. And I don't really know how or why. But I think it's also kind of a murder mystery. But it's weird because it's definitely, like, it's not genre. It's written in the way that, like, a literary fiction book is written. So I'm kind of trying to tackle it down and figure it out. Um, but okay. I'm not far enough into it to really be able to say anything else about it. As far as what I've been watching, Brian and I have been watching the newest season of Queer Eye, which we love. 
And then um, we just watched season two of The Witcher. I love The Witcher. I'm, I love it. I love fantasy like that. I might have to give it another go. I tried to get into it and I couldn't get past the first episode, but I may have had a lot of other things going on. So I'll give it another go. I'd give it another go. I will say also season one, each episode is slightly disorienting because the whole story is told out of order. Uh. Um, so that is something to keep in mind, but I do really like it. I liked season two a little bit more. Season season two is more about, um, like, it takes more time to develop really important relationships in it. And so it was more rewarding for me to gotcha. watch it. That but also sense. the reward for me is just watching Henry Cavill as the Witcher. Again, I was... <laughs> I was going to say that I have no, like, he does not do it for me at all. So I keep forgetting how opposite in taste we have of men because it's, he does nothing for me. In fact, he somewhat bothers me. Okay. Like, he bothers me as Superman because I can't stand Superman, but he does not bother me as the Witcher. I think it's the hair. <laughs> I think it's the hair. I think it's the yellow eye contacts and that sometimes okay. he takes a potion and they just all go black and he talks really low and it just does it for me. I just, I don't know what to say. Wow. Well, you know what? It takes whatever works for you. I'm, I fully support. <laughs> and we won't ever have to compete. So it's all good. I know it's, it actually works out pretty well. It does. It does. We never have to share celebrity crushes. It's fantastic. Nope, I know. <laughs> there will be there will be no will be potential no arguments or competition. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I love you. Oh, Lord. I love you so much. I love you too. <laughs> uh, even if you have weird taste. Outside oh my of gosh, Brian. Brian's I didn't great. yuck your yums. What what are you doing? You're yucking my yums, calling it weird taste. Okay, you're right. You think um, I'm the only one who's into Henry Cavill as the Witcher? No, I'm pretty sure that's why I'm I in the that. majority. I, mean, I think you are too. And there's a whole subset of people that call themselves cumber bitches or whatever. So obviously, yeah, I'm in the minority. I didn't I'm come well, up with the term. I'm speaking, I'm speaking purely from bitchy judgmentalness. <laughs> that's all. But I got it out of my system. <laughs> It's the vodka smoothie. I don't know what to say. Well, it must have been delicious. It was good. (laughs) Um, Well, I am also reading um, Ai Weiwei's memoir, A Thousand Years of um, Joys and Sorrows. Really good. Nice. Like, uh, really excited to, I was excited when this came out and to read it. He's fascinating and it's, it's really good. Um, and then I started a novel called The Moore's uh, Account by Lele Lalami. Mm-hmm. And this one, uh, so it's kind of a fictional telling of a, uh, about a true person. He was um, a slave who, he was sold into slavery. I don't know. It's I guess it's too complicated to go into. But he basically was one of the slaves that was on an expedition, one of the many expeditions, um, to like the Caribbean and Florida. And mm-hmm. it's like his recounting of, of that, you know, cause, um, Columbus didn't actually discover America. What? 
PSA. Um, so that's, yeah. So I'm really, really liking that. Um, and then I reread play it as it lays after poor Miss Joan Didion passed away. So I reread that one again. I really, and I think that's my favorite of all of her novels, even though it's not the most uplifting. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so th- that's what I'm going through right now, and then I obviously started our Thousand Ships book. Girl, you're on um, a on a reading run. Look I at you been. go. I've, I know I've been like really investing a lot of my like free time into it, and it's been really rewarding. I'm really enjoying it. And shows, I'm not really watching anything too crazy exciting. I'm waiting for some of the new Star Trek series to come out. Oh, um, and new, new series and new season. Nerd. Um, so new season of Picard, the second part of Discovery, Nerd. and then there's the new one that's all about Captain Pike. Nerd. I know, and I'm proud of it, and I don't care. <laughs> Do not care. Whatever. It's okay. Cumber, bitch, or whatever. I just, yeah, called. I just spent way too much time fixating on the fact that I love Henry Cavill when his eyes go black from potion making. Well, well like, you know what? Patrick Stewart still does it for me. You know what? So, he's a very handsome man. He's a very handsome very man. Very handsome man. And, and he's so, I love his personality. He's so sweet. I am very moved and touched by his relationship with Ian McKellen. Their friendship actually really just brings my heart a lot of joy well and he's like a big proponent of like rescue dogs and like rescue pit bulls specifically and mm-hmm. he um i remember when the pandemic first started god it seems like forever ago i can't believe we're still in this crap uh he was like reading from shakespeare every day and like you could just listen to it mm-hmm. and he just his delivery and his accent like he's a kiss. great macbeth have you seen him as that Macbeth? Yes. Is that was a great movie. Which what's the new I just heard um there's a new It's the tragedy of with, Macbeth and it has Denzel Washington. Yeah, with Denzel. And I've heard he's just stellar in it. Yeah, I'm excited. I don't know if it's released in theaters. I don't even know if it's going to be in re- released in theaters or if it's like Amazon or something. Um but that's on my my watch list for sure. Mm, yeah. Eager to see that that's one. That's a good one. Well, um Anyway, I hope you guys all like the novel. Go pick up Thousand Ships so that we'll be discussing that uh, next Friday. So get reading. Um, And if you guys have any suggestions for us of other novels or anything else that you want to maybe, because this one was um, suggested by Megan, right? One of our listeners. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So if anyone has any ideas, we'd love to hear from you. Um, Yeah. So I don't think there's anything else. I don't think so. I think we covered it. Okay. Well, I mean, there's lots that we could have probably talked more about this novel, but we do have to stop at some point and go read more things. So, (laughs) um, thanks everybody for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.